Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Good evening and welcome to Fishhawk Live and the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Thanks so much for everybody for joining us. And uh, tonight we're joined by Captain Travis White from Kenowa Charters in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Travis, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Travis, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. We had a chance to talk in the green room before the show started. You've got a really, really cool background, but uh, give us the nickel tour about uh, what you are, who you're about, and uh, a little bit about your charter service as well. Yeah, sure. So I'm located up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, closest town or city center is Houghton Hancock. Um, so this is called the Keweenaw Peninsula for, for those that may have heard of it. Uh, we're further north and west of Marquette, Michigan. And, um, you know, I came up here to school in 2007, uh, studying engineering at Michigan Tech. I fell in love with this area, uh, just the, the close proximity to Lake Superior. You know, we're surrounded by it being on a peninsula. Um, and then also just the rugged landscape up here is really cool, uh, really unique, a lot of uh, interesting history with the, the mining and everything that happened up here at one point in the, uh, the forest industry. Um, when I graduated from uh, tech, I, I had the opportunity to take a job right here in the area. And uh, prior to that, you know, I I'd, uh, started doing a little bit of guiding as sort of a summer uh, fun job over in Sault Ste. Marie uh, on the St. Mary's River, which is where I grew up. Um, that was a lot of fly fishing, a lot of light tackle for Atlantic salmon, steelhead, uh, smallmouth bass. Um, once I got up here, you know, being surrounded by Lake Superior, my, my interest turned to the, the big water. Um, and we've got a really diverse fishery up here. Um, on Lake Superior, it's, it's similar, but very different to Lakes Ontario here on Michigan. Um, we've got salmon, we've got kings, pinks, coho, but uh, we've also got a lot of lake trout and that's uh, that's the big native fish up here, you know, state record was 61 and a half pounds. So um, right out of college, you know, I bought a bigger boat for, for navigating the, the type of water up here. And uh, I set my eyes on maybe one day catching a state record lake trout. So <laughs> that's, I'm in constant pursuit of that, I guess you could say. Um, but I'm still uh, working as a mechanical engineer uh, in the marine engineering field at Michigan Tech University, so part-time. Um, I also co-founded uh, ProNav Marine. So uh, we've got a small company up here and we make uh, GPS controllers for electric trolling motors that basically give them all of the, the iPilot type of functionalities um, as sort of a, a retrofit option. So they go on to the, the basic trolling motors that come on a lot of your, uh, you know, smaller, you know, 16 to 18 foot boats right off the lot without all the bells and whistles. Um, and then in addition, in the summer season, I, uh, I keep really busy uh, doing nearshore and offshore fishing charters uh, around the Keweenaw Peninsula. We've got great Great nearshore fishing all summer. Starts out really early in the season uh, where, you know, fish are shallow and we actually uh, even get to do a little bit of light tackle casting and such. And we talk more about that. Uh, and then throughout the summer, we do a lot of trolling, um, you know, just, just similar to what you guys probably do down there. And uh, then also offshore fishing at places like Standard Rock, which folks are probably familiar with, and Isle Royal. Uh, which is a really cool destination trip that, that we can talk a little bit more about. Um, so my passion is you know, being on the water, and I've tried to put together a career, uh, a little bit of a piecemeal with all these different things that uh, gets me out there as much as possible. That's very cool. You know, you're based in this area. I want to get into some of those other things later, but you're based in this area that's kind of the heart of what a lot of people consider just an epic 
fishing destination. It's a different fishery than what you find on Lake Ontario or Lake Michigan, something like that. But uh, what we're talking about tonight is two areas that really have extremely low pressure. It's not a place you're going to go out and have to fight crowds. Let's talk about Standard Rock first. Uh, the lighthouse there was built in the late 1800s. It protects shipping from Standard Rock Reef, which is a really kind of a, this cool underwater mountain. You know, the water slopes up. I guess there's areas there where, where it's only about four feet deep. I think I, I read somewhere the average depth is about 16 feet. Tell us a little bit about that reef and, and what people might encounter there. Sure. Yeah, Standard Rock's a really cool place. I, I first had the chance to fish there uh, probably probably the summer I graduated college. Um, went out with another charter captain up here, and uh, you know that was my first first experience with it. Um, the thing that stood out to me is that Standard Rock is a place where there's perfect habitat and structure for lake trout. That fishery is almost strictly a lake trout fishery, although we do catch a few you know stray coho and steelhead there at times. Um, but it's it's this underwater mountain. It's about five miles long. It's uh, about a mile at its widest point. And, uh, you know, right close to that lighthouse, there's uh, there's a spot where there's actually a, a rock that sticks out of the surface of the lake. So it was a real significant hazard navigation. It's pretty well in a straight line north of Marquette, straight line east of Copper Harbor. And uh, if you line up the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula with uh, sort of the, the mouth of Whitefish Bay, it's right in that, uh, you know, right in that transect. So, um, you know, the, the guy that found it uh, and mapped it out was uh, Charles Stannard. Um, and that's how it got its name. But um, what's what's unique there is we've got these beautiful lake trout. It's, uh, you know, in Lake Superior, there's a lot of substrains or variations to the lake trout. You know, they're all lake trout, but um, there's these these particular ones we call red fins, which are very dark bodied, very colorful uh, fins. They have these giant bright red fins on them. Um, and one of the unique things about them is that they, they school up on the structure out there, you know, these underwater rocks and sea mounds. Um, and they also can grow quite large. Um, part of that is due to the low fishing pressure and kind of the low uh, commercial utilization historically of this reef. Um, so there's a population of trout out there that is relatively intact. It, uh, you know, it wasn't as affected by the, the commercial fishing and the sea lamprey invasion and all these other things that, uh, you know, wiped out a lot of lake trout in Lake Superior historically. Um, it's got a population that has a lot of good small fish, a lot of good medium-sized fish, and then some very, very large lake trout. Um, and we're talking lake trout that you know, easily go 30 pounds or larger. Um, you're not always going to catch fish like that out there, but it's actually quite common to go out there and to have an interaction with those fish. And maybe that's the other thing that's so unique about that, that reef is that how we fish there is typically going to be jigging and casting because the fish are concentrated in certain little spots. Um, if you, you know, going along, you're marking the structure and you're marking fish, you can stop your boat and you know jig right under the boat or cast you know around the boat and uh one of the cool things with that clear water out there is you might be in 100 feet of water but if you're casting a lure out letting it sink and reeling it back to the boat uh, there's a really good chance you're going to see lake trout chasing your lure to the boat and sometimes those trout are huge yeah that's uh you know i've never had a chance to get out there and do that trip before but i've watched it uh on fishing 411 and that's one of the things that that you guys encountered that day that they filmed the show out there. It was a it was calm seas that day, and they were looking down at the bottom in about 35 feet of water and basically sight fishing these lake trout. And uh, that looked like 
a whole lot of fun doing that out there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really neat. You know, it's kind of like a big aquarium out there, really. Um, you know, there, there's places like, you know, like you described that are really shallow, 15 to 30 feet, where you, you can see fish and uh, you can cast for them and you can catch them on light tackle with a small spoon or a, a blade bait or a jig. I mean, they're, they're, they're not extremely picky. They're either on or they're off and you know there's kind of not a lot of middle ground there <laughs> but uh then there's also deeper water around the edges of the reef so what what i found makes a good lake trout spot in lake superior is typically that reef structure that comes up to about you know you know really shallow or you know 50 to 100 foot and it's surrounded by very deep water uh, dropping off to over five six hundred feet on all sides of it um there's a good population of uh you know, burbot, uh, herring, you know, various types of forage fish. And most of those are larger forage fish. So these uh, big trout have plenty to eat. And uh, so we, we often fish in that 50 to 100 foot range, uh, you know, throughout the summer, really a function of water temperature more than anything. We find those fish and you get on them and uh, you, you just work for them. Travis, you uh, you talked about that 61 pounder as the Michigan State record lake trout caught in 1997 out there. Uh, but you're saying that the size structure out there, like you said, there's some smaller ones, but uh, but some big fish as well while you're out there fishing. Yeah, it you know it it's in my experience, there's a lot of good sized trout out there. You know, you don't experience lake trout of that caliber near shore where you've got a lot more fishing pressure and boat traffic, uh, commercial fishing, you know, ice fishing, all, all sorts of fishing within a few miles of shore. I think that population of trout, uh, this is my theory, is that they're somewhat, you know, home bodies to that reef. They're somewhat, uh, you know, fish that live there most of their lives, I suspect, or fish that, you know, end up there and stick around. Um, and I, yeah, you see fish out there that you don't see very often near shore. You know, if we caught a hundred lake trout within five miles of the Keweenaw, um, you, you might have a, a fish over 20 pounds, but you're not going to consistently encounter that type of fish. Whereas if you caught a hundred trout at Standard Rock, you're very likely going to have a trout over 20 pounds or maybe even over 30 pounds if, if you're lucky. And that's because it's hard to get out there. Uh, it's 25 miles to the nearest shore. It's actually the, the furthest lighthouse from shore in North America, I believe. Uh, I've been saying United States, but uh, I think it's in, in North America. What's the challenge? What's it like to get out there? Uh, tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, well, that you're right. That is what makes that fishery so great and so unique is that it's it's a place where the trout are relatively undisturbed most of their lives, most of the year. Um from the Keweenaw Peninsula here, we've got a run out of either Copper Harbor or Lock LaBelle, which is about 13 miles. Um, that's from the Irons to the Lighthouse. Um, so that's all over open water with no shoreline protection, you know, once you know, once you leave the irons. Um, so you've really got to, you know, be a student of the forecast, you know, understand how barometric pressure affects waves and, you know, conditions, uh, understand how wind direction factors into getting there and back safely, or at least having a, an enjoyable boat ride. Um, you know, I, I sure don't enjoy a long bumpy boat ride. So um, you know, we try to plan these trips uh, on days where we've got good stable weather, you know, for, for a, a good, you know, two, three day window and uh, often try to run for the middle of that window. And, uh, you know, more often than not, with a little bit of planning, you'll have a great trip out there. No problems. And uh, on those nice days, you are going to see other boats out there. Um, they come from Marquette, uh, Shelter Bay, you know, over by Munising. 
um, Big Bay, which is west of Marquette, and then the Keweenaw, of course. So uh, there's quite a few different ports where, where folks can access it. Um, for reference, Marquette is about a 50 mile run, but Big Bay is somewhere around 32 miles. So, um, you know, that's a popular put in for, you know, the, the 20 foot uh, walleye and, uh, you know, a typical uh, Great Lakes boats that you're seeing people fishing trout and salmon and um, it's just yeah really you plan ahead you, you got uh, you got to trust your electronics have backups of everything you know there's always fog and different things that you have to contend with uh, you want to have your VHF radio uh, just basic safety equipment I also have started carrying a, a Garmin inReach it's a relatively inexpensive device that lets you text people over satellite and uh, also pull up a marine forecast, a point forecast, and get uh, sort of the hour by hour uh, while you're out there where you have no cell service. Um, you know, there's there's no hope of reaching someone on your phone out there. So that's kind of the, one of the nice things about it, but also one of the challenges of it. Yeah, that's a place that, uh, you know, a lot of guys that are used to fishing near shore, if they run into weather, you know, you can you can move and kind of get out of it and and get yourself in, slip in somewhere if you need to. But uh, you go out there, there's nowhere to slip into. Uh, you really got to not just know what the weather's like as you're going out, but know what it's going to be like as you're coming in. Um, have you ever, and I'm sure the answer is going to be yes here, but uh, seen or heard people kind of get themselves in trouble making this run? Yeah, that, that definitely happens. Um, you know, that... Some people still don't look at the forecast and they just see a nice morning and go for it. Um, I wouldn't advise that. You know, I, I look at the National Weather Service, uh, weather.gov. They've got a great tool where you can go and select a point forecast on the map. That means you can click on the lat long at the Standard Lock, uh, Rock Lighthouse and you can get an hour by hour weather graph showing you the wind, speed and direction, uh, the forecasted wave height based on that you know, uh, rain, thunder, that type of stuff. So, you know, that that's ultimately what it requires. But uh, yeah, there's people that uh, end up getting into trouble or uh, mishaps. It's great to buddy up if, uh, you know, if someone's planning a trip out there first time or hundredth time, it's always a great idea to try to buddy up with another boat if you can. Um, you know, and oftentimes that maybe it's not possible, but it's just, you know, if, if possible, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I was out there one time and it was just uh, my boat and there was one other boat that came out of the Keweenaw, uh, out of Cop Copper Harbor. And there was a couple older gentlemen in that boat. And halfway through the day, they motored up to us and they've got like a 17 or 18 foot, uh, you know, wraparound windshield uh, with maybe a 90 or one, you know, 115 outboard on it. No backup motor, no trolling motor. And they motored up to us and it was starting to get a little foggy. And they asked, uh, which way is Copper Harbor? And that's where they came from. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a little interesting. You know, it's like some people, you wonder how they find their way out there and back. But um, again, you know, redundancy is the key. You know, if you've got a chart plotter in your boat, have the Navionics app on your phone. And, uh, you know, that's a great backup. It's one anyone can buy for you know, a few, few dollars subscription. Yeah, that was my first question is how do they get themselves out there? <laughs> they couldn't figure <laughs> out how to get back. You'd think it'd be more difficult to find the place than to find your way home. But, right. Uh, <laughs> We, we've got a, a question coming in here from Kevin Skalicki, and he wants to know uh, how often do you end up rescheduling trips out of Standard Rock due to weather? Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. So, you know, the way my schedule fills up in the summer, uh, you know, right now I'm pretty well full through, pretty well through August. I've got a few days here and there. Um, when we book a Standard Rock trip, we plan on a full day of fishing. If the weather's good, we go to Standard Rock. If, if that offshore forecast 
doesn't look good or it's not a, you know not reasonable to make that boat right out there and we've got great nearshore fishing around the Keweenaw for for all sorts of trout and salmon and that that's just the plan b um i know it's not what everyone wants to do if they're really psyched up for uh going out to standard rock yeah the plan b of nearshore you know fishing is yeah it's maybe a disappointment but it's a lot better than beating yourself up for a, a bad boat ride but um you know folks that are really serious about getting out there a lot of times i've got you know clients that have booked two or three days of fishing you know we book two or three full days and if if we get any opportunities to go to standard during that time we go for it um and maybe that's even a couple of days of fishing out there but uh if not, then we're, you know, we're doing a bit of nearshore fishing, which fortunately we have good nearshore. So it makes a good backup plan, if nothing else. How about, uh, we've, we've been talking about jigging out there. Do you, do you do a lot of trolling in that area? You know, the, the first couple of seasons I started fishing out there, I did a fair bit of trolling. And part of that for me was, uh, you know, just a very effective way to cover the reef, learn the structure, mark fish, mark waypoints, and kind of get a lay of the land. And, you know, at this point now where I've got a good program for going out there and getting on fish right away, I would never even consider bringing trolling equipment in the boat. You know, I just find it so much fun going out with just some light, you know, some light jigging rods or even heavier rods, depending on what type of bait we're fishing with. But, um, you know, trolling is very effective. And on the tough days, which there are plenty of out there uh, where those trout are somewhat locked jaw, you know, part of that is we're always running out on these nice, bright, sunny, calm days. So it's typically not your ideal fishing weather, perhaps. But um, trolling gear can certainly save the day on those cases, or it's also a great way for folks to, to kind of learn that reef and start to mark waypoints where there's fish. Because what we found out there is that if you, you find a piece of structure that has fish on it one day, that piece of structure is going to always have fish on it. Um, it may not be every day, but that's a that's a waypoint you want to save and that's a place you want to go back and look the next time you're there because more more likely than not there's going to be fish on the same spots every time you go there the structure on the structure if you will that's it yeah and some of these spots when i say a spot out there i'm referring to about a hundred foot uh diameter in some some cases you know that might be a hundred foot rock pile that comes up and when you're a hundred feet off of that you're in 250 feet of water so very key spots and that's you know finding those is kind of part of the part of the puzzle out there and it, it takes a lot of time really um but with the electronics that you know folks have nowadays it's it really cuts that curve down and it makes it easy to go out there and possibly have that chance of your first time being an awesome trip but you know i've found that it's taken many years to really get to a point of consistently having those awesome days and uh, it's just you know it's a lot of work but that's the work that pays off and you know gets you those types of experiences of trophy lake trout fishing all right, here's a question coming in from Chase Palisari, and he wants to know if you find it more effective to be in a drift jig or a vertical jig when you're targeting those Lakers. Yeah, we, we do a little bit of both. Um, that's definitely a depends answer. Um, you know, obviously, you're at a big advantage if you've got a, a bow mount trolling motor with spot lock on it. When you find fish and they're on a very small piece of structure, being able to, to park and hold on that structure and fish those fish is really important especially if you've got a good current which there is a fair bit of current out there or a good wind um, you know that those fish might be in a hundred foot diameter area and drifting over them can be very effective some days if your drift is slow but if it's a fast drift um, you know it just doesn't give you a lot of time on that spot on the spot now there are circumstances where drift fishing can really pay off and that's uh you know that's on the days where maybe you're you're finding fish are really scattered or you know your spot on the spots just aren't panning out there's fish there but they're not feeding they're not 
eating. Um, sometimes, you know, when that's the case, when the, the bite is tough at 100 foot or, you know, the bite's really tough at 50 foot, we tend to go out deeper to maybe 200 foot. And uh, once you kind of, you know, hit the bottom of that reef where it starts to drop off into those types of depths, then the structure is a little less spot on the spot. And it's more of, uh, you know, drifting uh, in that situation. So when we're out in deeper water there, we drift a little bit more and try to just cover cover some of the larger area at the base of the reef. And that can be pretty effective. All right, let's talk about what you're using. Uh, what, what type of tackle are you using to, to do this uh, jigging for these monster lake trout? What's your gear look like? Yeah, well, I have basically two sets of rods that I kind of go, go to out there. Um, one set of rod is sort of a medium heavy uh, spinning somewhere in that 6.6 six to 7.6 range. Uh, I'm spooling up, you know, your, your 3,500 size uh, spinning reels, uh, fairly large capacity just to give you some, some depth uh, and also retrieve rate. And uh, we're fishing primarily braid on these setups. So 20 pound braid is more than enough most of the time to, to get the job done. Um, and then we're typically running about a 20 pound fluorocarbon leader uh, terminated to, you know, anywhere from a one to two ounce lure. That could be a, that could be a jig in plastic. That could be a bucktail with cut bait. Uh, that could be a blade bait or tube jigs. You know, there's a pretty wide variety of, uh, you know, tackle we use on the end. Um, a lot of it, you know, in my experience, a lot of times if the fish are there, they're going to hit, you know, a white tube jig just as good as they're going to hit a silver blade bait if they're feeding. Some days you might find a little difference, but, um, you know, I kind of have the standard box of stuff that I use and it, it kind of keeps reducing. Uh, casting spoons are really effective. We like to take, you know, a half to, you know, one and a half ounce spoons, cast them a long ways from the boat, let them sink to the bottom and then reel them back into the boat. And uh, you'll find fish that are maybe towards the bottom or even suspended a little bit, chasing those right up to the surface uh, and hitting them as they get closer. Um, so that's the lighter spinning tackle. And, you know, that, that works great in the shallower depths. That works great when you're catching uh, more of the, you know, five to 10 to 15 pound trout. Um, but uh, one thing I've kind of evolved to over the years is going to a little bit heavier gear, um, in particular for fishing some of the really, you know, if I'm really selectively trying to catch trophy lake trout, um, I'm gearing up with stuff that most guys would say is, you know, musky gear, um, something like a eight to nine foot, you know, heavy, extra, extra heavy uh, bait caster setup. Um, so, you know, most folks would think of that as pike and musky fishing gear. I also have some heavy spinning rods that are sort of a, I think they're an inshore series, so something that you'd use for like tarpon, uh, you know, big snook, big redfish, that type of equipment. Um, the reason we're using that heavier gear more and more is because we're fishing some larger profile baits, um, you know, such as nine inch paddle tails or, you know, 10 to 12 inch tube jigs, uh, you know, bondy baits, things of that nature. So you've got a lot of weight on the end of your rod. So when we're running these heavier setups, we're using more like 50 pound braid terminated to 40 or 50 pound uh, mono or fluoro. Um, I don't think that leader at the end, the mono or fluoro is super critical, but I guess why not do it? You know, it, it definitely doesn't hurt anything. Um, and then, you know, on those heavier setups, that gives us a lot more line capacity for jigging out into 250, uh, you know, some of that deeper water. And uh, one, one more factor that I think is really important that a lot of people wouldn't think of this, um, or, you know, it's not the first thing you think of, is that if you're selectively trying to catch a 30-pound lake trout, um, for one, those fish are going to fight hard, so you need good tackle to whoop it. But for two, these are really old fish. Um, 
they're not really fish that we want to keep and take out of the system. You know, a 30 pound lake trout is at a minimum 30 years old. Um, you know, and that, that's backed up by DNR studies uh, on Lake Superior looking at growth rates. So at a minimum, you know, you're, you're talking fish that are several decades old, but potentially up to 50 plus years old. Um, so these aren't fish we want to take home and eat. These are fish we want to handle carefully once we get them up. Uh, so we want to fight them pretty quickly, just like, uh, you know, just like anything. You want to handle that fish, tire it out, get it to the boat, you know, keep it wet as best you can and then get it back down there. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you next, Travis. I think uh, most of our audience uh, does most of their fishing by trolling, and that's how they're going to be catching these fish. What's it like to catch a 30-pound lake trout while jigging? What, what, what is that <laughs> like compared to the trolling trolling deal? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a good old classic rodeo. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, if you hook a big, big lake trout jigging, um, not everyone fights the same, but you know, some of these fish uh, or most of these fish, their number one instinct is just to stay on the bottom. So if you're in a hundred feet of water and you hook a fish, you know, hundred feet down and it's a 30 pounder, that fish is going to take a while to get even up off the bottom. And uh, typically as you're fighting them, you know, you're going to get them halfway up and they're going to make these big powerful runs right back down to the bottom. And uh, it's so much fun when your boat is stationary and you're able to you know, play that fish out. You know, sometimes you're running the rod around the front of the boat or around the motors, um, you know, chasing that fish around. Um, I can't imagine a trolling scenario where you're consistently going to land those fish without a whole bunch of stuff tangling up on you. Um, you know, I do a lot of trolling. Anytime we get into a real big trout, you know, around the Keweenaw here, um, a lot of times you got to slow down take some stuff out and make room for that fish. Um, you know, they tend to dive down under the boat and work a kind of a tight circle coming up. And uh, they sure can pull, you know, there's, there's fish that you can barely lift them, uh, you know, for many, many minutes into that fight uh, until they're really starting to, you know, gas out a little bit. Let's talk about the seasonality, Travis. When is kind of the time to go? If you want to do this standard rock trip, when is kind of the best time to make, make your way out there? Yeah, well, I think the real prime time out there is July and August. Um, we typically will start the season out there in May or June, but the water's super cold. The fish are pretty lethargic, and there's a lot of tough days out there uh, early in the season. Um, surface temperatures up until mid-June are going to be, you know, below 45. Um, so it, it takes a while for those fish to really get hungry and turned on. Uh, early in the season, you know, May and early June, there's a lot more times where you're going to need to go out deeper and fish uh, deeper water to try to find those fish. You know, I'm talking deeper being like 150 to 250 feet. Whereas July and August, we typically do most of our fishing in 50 to 150 feet. And I would say on average, a lot of that 70 or 80. So that's relatively shallow for lake trout. And I, I think they're a lot more active and aggressive, you know, as summer goes on. And, uh, you know, they, al they also fight a lot better and you don't have to be dropping jigs into the abyss, you know, looking for them. Um, so I, I think July and August are great. The one thing you want to watch out for is as it gets later into the summer, we start to get a lot more wind, uh, sort of that seasonal shift from summer to autumn, which happens up here mid to late August. So we get a lot more blow days uh, mid-August and on. And uh, the last couple of years, there were very few days in September and practically zero in October where you could even, you know, even want to take a boat out there. Uh, before we move on, Travis, is there anything about Standard Rock, that fishing trip that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about tonight? I think, you know, I guess uh, the one thing that I like to help educate people on is just the, uh, 
conservation aspects of that fishery. Um, I personally believe that it's getting fish more now than it ever has. And I, I think that can be backed up with creel, you know, creel surveys and such, but it's, it's easier to plan the trip with the good forecasting. People have better electronics and better boats. Um, so you are going to see more fishing pressure out there now than in the past. And I think everybody going out there has a pretty good attitude, but um, you know, we want to share that with our fellow anglers who might be new to it. Um, you know, it's really important to think about how awesome that fishery is and how it compares to, you know, what you might have near shore. And I think the reason it's like that is because, uh, you know, the lack of pressure and the fact that many people going out there are catching and releasing a lot of the fish they're catching, especially the big ones. But, um, you know, I also say it takes a, a lot of five and 10 pound lake trout to, to get, you know, a one or two 20 to 30 pound lake trout. And that's a couple decades away. So taking a 20 or 30 pound fish out of that system, it's not, you know, it's up to everybody's uh, own discretion if that's something they want to do. But, um, you know, it's it takes 30 plus years to put that fish back there. So and, it you know, also the, the sort of the smaller medium fish. So I think that's just an important aspect. And, uh, you know, I think most anglers are really good about that and realizing that fishery is what it is because uh, because those fish have had that isolation to, to get to those sizes and population densities. Yeah, that actually uh, goes into a question again from Chase once again. He says, do you think that there should be some sort of slot limit and destination places like that? Yeah, I, I think everyone's got different answers to this. And I it's not an easy question to answer because I understand people like to eat fish and that's not a bad thing at all. But, you know, this is a special place. You know, most people aren't making a 50 mile boat ride to, to go catch dinner. You know, that that would be kind of crazy. So. If it was just me and that was like if that if I was managing that fishery, realizing the the value that that fishery has to the Great Lakes and the sport fishing community and also the economic impact to all the little towns around here where people uh, launch their boats to go out there. If it were me, I'd almost look to maybe consider that as a catch release only fishery. And and part of that also ties into the, the hooking mortality studies that have been coming out in recent years. Um, you know, whereas the water gets warm in the summer months, uh, you know, some of those fish that we're releasing may not be making it. Um, fortunately, Standard Rock being so far offshore has the coolest water temperatures in the lake at that midsummer time. So I think that's less of an issue out there. But I also feel that, you know, just what hooking mortality there might be in catch and release fishing could potentially be enough of a factor to, you know, to make justification to not even keep that many fish out there. Maybe it's just a few, you know, maybe it's a slot limit. Maybe it's a, you know, a reduced number. I'm not sure what the best answer is, but I would sure love to see the, the sport fishing community uh, get together and maybe collaborate and, and brainstorm on what would make the most sense to make sure that fishery is just as good or even better in 10 or 20 years as it is now. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun talking about Standard Rock. We're 30 minutes in, and I, I think we could talk about this for an hour, but uh, we came up with some other topics. We're going to talk uh, some Isle Royal right now, and, and that uh, brings us a question here from Nick. He says, uh, Isle Royal or Standard, if you could only go to one, which one is it? Well, uh, a few years ago, I probably would have said Standard because I was really focused on just catching the biggest lake trout I could. But um, between Isle Royal and Standard, we've caught – similar caliber of fish and the more i've learned about isle royal the more i've seen the potential for huge fish out there um isle royal is way more of an adventure you know it's sort of boat fishing camping there's different species of fish there's uh, sort of near shore inland pike that grow well into the mid 40 inch range you know there's uh brook trout and then of course there's tons of lake trout and also salmon steelhead and you know other critters all summer so i would probably rather spend 
a weekend at Iowa Royal than standard at this point, just from those, uh, you know, from that, from that angle. Yeah. I don't think you'd want to spend a weekend at standard. I've seen a few <laughs> YouTube videos of guys going in there and I know that uh, you're not allowed to do it, but uh, I've seen some videos and I don't think anybody would really want to hang out there for the weekend. Yeah, no, that's right. You know, that's a, that's a long day trip and that's where the Island is a little more relaxed. You know, you go out there for four or five days and uh, set up camp and you can spend, you know, you can spend some time at the campsite cooking dinner. You can eat steaks. You know, you're, you're not packing light if you're going out there in a boat. And then you can also go out and enjoy some incredible fishing. Um, I will say, like, in terms of just sheer numbers of fish, I think in a day of fishing, once you've got the lay of the land at Isle Royal, you can catch probably far more numbers of fish than you will at Standard Rock. Um, the average size of the fish we catch at Isle Royal is maybe a little better than the average fish at Standard Rock. But I would still say the big biggest fish, the top percentile fish at standard is probably bigger than the top percentile fish we've ran into at Isle Royal. It's a pretty good run out there. Tell us about the trip uh, from your neck of the woods out to Isle Royal. Yeah, well, there's uh, basically two options. So option one is if your your boat is 20 foot or under, you can actually transport it on the National Park Service ferry out of Houghton, Michigan. And I would really recommend that if you get a 20 footer under boat, put, you can put your boat on the deck of this Park Service boat. It's like $160 round trip. It's very affordable uh, considering the cost of gas and everything to get out there. Um, they'll drop your boat off in the water. So they put it on slings, take it off your trailer and then drop it in the water at Isle Royal. And once you're there, you can just you know, go crazy. You can explore and experience the island. Um, if your boat's over 20 foot, you're going to need to run out there from, you know, from mainland. Uh, we can do that out of the Houghton Hancock area, or we can do that up by Eagle Harbor and, and Copper Harbor, which is actually about the closest point to point in Michigan um, from Eagle Harbor to Rock Harbor, which is about a 50 mile boat ride um, all across open water across shipping lanes, through the fog with absolutely no islands or anything else to, you know, to stop and take shelter. So that is definitely the widest, wildest part of the lake. Uh, and that crossing is one that is probably the, probably the scariest one to make. Um, you know, going there is never that concerning because you leave when you've got a great forecast and it's usually nice and calm. And in those conditions, it takes about an hour and a half to get there, uh, you know, running, you know, 30, 30 miles an hour thereabouts. Um, Coming back, though, if you've been there for four or five days and you don't have an updated forecast, uh, the, the forecast on the marine radio is nothing compared to what you can get when you get a point forecast on the computer. So coming back is a little more of uh, looking at the sky and winging it. Um, and I've had some pretty crazy rides back and, uh, you know, not very pleasant conditions. So that's something to, to think about. I have definitely mitigated some of those rides back uh, in, in the rough stuff by getting that uh, Garmin in reach so I can text somebody on shore, get them to text me back the, the point forecast uh, or the details or, you know, a thumbs up. And uh, that just gives me a little bit more peace of mind from a planning the trip back standpoint. But you can never go to Isle Royal when you're in a hurry. If you, you know, if you plan to leave on Monday and get back on Sunday, you're never going to hit those target dates. Uh, you've got to be flexible and you can't force it. You know, the weather is the boss. Yeah, that sounds like uh, could be a potentially hairy situation. So to uh, put that kind of risk on the line, what are the benefits? Why go on a trip like this? What What's kind of the, the draw on something like this? Yeah, well, for, for me, the draw is just the isolation of it, um, you know, which is also the risk factor. But um, it's 
it is probably one of the only places in the Great Lakes where you can uh, take your boat and fish for days and potentially not even see another boat, uh, potentially not even see another person, depending on where you're staying at on the island. Uh, I really enjoy that experience. It's just a wilderness experience. Um, the mainland has great, you know, hiking trails, uh, wildlife, you know, there's moose and otters and all sorts of critters, you know, so it's just really a cool boat fishing camping experience. Um, I equate it a lot to going up to Canada on a DIY sort of uh, bush trip, and uh, it really is that type of experience. The nice thing is that the National Park Service owns, operates the whole, the island, um, that, that wilderness area is preserved in, you know, the way it was hundreds or thousands of years ago. And um, they also have these uh, docks spread all around the island with these rustic campsites, which typically are, um, the, the rustic campsites typically include like a, a three-sided, hard-sided shelter with a bug screen across the front and a hard floor. So you can just bring sleeping pads or sleeping bags, roll them out in there, claim your spot, set up your, your cook stove. And then, you know, you've got that nice dock to come and go from and go fishing. So it's just an awesome experience. It's set up really well for boaters and the, the fishing out there is really hard to beat. I, I think Isle Royals fishing and the, the, just the dynamics of the, the whole ecosystem out there are very unique. Uh, there's tons of forage fish, tons of, you know, there's, there's fish everywhere out there. It's just unbelievable. And uh, I think that's almost a little slice of what Lake Superior might have been like, you know, pre, pre-human. pre You know, it's just, uh, it's hard to even describe. It's very unique. What is the, what do the trolling scenarios look like out there? Uh, what are you trolling for and, and what kind of setups are you running out there? Yeah, well, the water out there is also very cold because it's so far out into the lake. Um, early in the season, lasting right past 4th of July, the surface temperatures are going to be no more than the low 50s, you know, near shore, even within some of the big channels and harbors. And then uh, offshore, you know, we were out there the first week of June and the temperatures offshore were still around 39 Fahrenheit. Um, so basically when you're going earlier in the season, all of your fish are going to be stacked up, you know, in relatively shallow water or up by the surface. You might be in a few hundred feet of water, but you're going to find trout and salmon and steelhead uh, right in that surface film where that water is warm and there's uh, insects and stuff blowing offshore. Um, for trolling, it's it's absolutely awesome. There's a lot of structure. Um, you don't have to get far from the island to experience really good trolling opportunities. Um, you know, if, if you're out there in a real small boat, there's fantastic trolling just in the little protected harbors and uh, the fingers and such where, where you can literally fling a rapala out behind the boat 100 feet and drag it and catch a 20 a, you know, pound lake trout. That happens out there probably every day. Um, but, you know, if you're more into the technical trolling with lead core and boards, that's a phenomenal way to, to navigate around the island and find fish at any time of the year. And then, of course, uh, divers and downriggers and that program, they work great. But I will say uh, there's probably more downriggers in the bottom of the lake uh, out around Isle Royal than anywhere else in the Great Lakes. There's rocks and snags out there that uh, come up out of nowhere. And you, <laughs> you just got to be real careful if you're uh, fishing close to the bottom. <laughs> so uh, that, that keeps our friends here at Fishhawk in business. Uh, we'd love to sell some extra frogs <laughs> to those guys. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and I, you know, I think that's a great thing. Like out there, it's a really diverse fishing opportunities. You know, there's so many different types of lake trout that have evolved out there with different preferences for shallow water or deep water or suspended in the middle. Um, 
if a guy likes a jig, you can go out to that deeper water and jig. If a guy likes to cast, you can fish the shallow, rocky shorelines and pitch, you know, uh, husky jerks and rapalas and, uh, you know, small jigs and spoons. And you can catch these beautiful lake trout uh, right along the shoreline just about any time of the summer until, you know, really the, the point where you're going to have to go deeper is when the water surface temps are, you know, 60-ish. And uh, that, that only lasts for maybe a month out there, probably, you know, mid-August to mid-september when you're trolling in that area uh, what do you got tied on at the end of your line we run a lot of spoons uh we run combos of you know flashers and spoons uh, we run uh you know dodgers and spin and glows but that you know you you don't need the dodger spin and glow there and you're definitely not going to be dragging your downriggers in the, the sandy bottom because there is none of that out there um you know so so spoons are great it's super simple um you know, you can do the the flasher fly thing. There are some king salmon out there that show up right about uh, the beginning of July, typically. And uh, the reason they come out there, there's still some Chinook stocking up on the Ontario side of the lake, which is only maybe 20 miles as a crow flies to, to Canada. So uh, we're actually pretty close to the mouth of that Nipigon Bay system. And uh, I, I believe that's where a lot of those kings are coming from. And Isle Royal has just a an unbelievable herring forage base um so I, I think you know anyone that fishes kings is going to have a a unique opportunity to catch lake superior kings which are really hard to find you know i know there's guys that do it um but i give a lot of compliments to those guys when they catch them because they're they're hard to track down in this big lake where there's not a lot of kings um, but then steelhead is the other cool thing you can catch those uh, all summer around the island and they're going to be really close to the surface so you know bright flashy uh colors pinks and orange and purple uh, you know, stick baits, jointed rapalas, spoons, those are those are hard to go wrong with. Uh, you really don't need much more than that. Is there anything about uh, fishing Isle Royal that you wanted to talk about? I want to get into Pro Nav Marine here in a second, but uh, is there something you wanted to touch on here tonight that I didn't ask you about? Yeah, I'll just maybe touch a little bit on the logistics. So if you want to plan this trip out, uh, first step would be to call the National Park Service headquarters, their office here in Houghton, Michigan. Uh, let them know that you're a boater, you're planning a trip. There, there's uh, just a little bit of paperwork and, and whatnot you got to do with them to register your boat. Um, so make sure you're doing everything on the up and up. Um, you know, that, that will help you out because they do enforce it out there. So start there. They'll give you all the guides and regulations. There are some minor differences out there compared to the rest of Lake Superior, but it's not that hard to navigate. Um, and then other than that, you know, plan enough time to, to give yourself uh, an opportunity to experience it. I, I wouldn't go out there if you only had two or three days. I'd I'd really encourage folks to look at planning that trip for, you know, four to four to seven days at least. I'd love to spend a month out there, but that's <laughs> just never possible. And and again, there uh, no cell service as well. So if you're planning on posting uh, to Facebook while you're out there, uh, that's not going to happen. It's a no Facebook zone, which is all right with me. It's it's a cool place. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about uh, ProNav Marine. It's a company that you've co-founded. It's a GPS guided autopilot system. It connects to your bow mount troller. And like you said uh, a little bit earlier in the show, this is for the guys that that didn't buy, you know, the real high end one at the beginning of the of, of their boat adventure. This is a retrofit deal. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, that, that's the 
the gist of it. You know, we um, we started this company uh, about seven or eight years ago now uh, with the intention of giving another option out there to folks that are looking to upgrade their trolling motors. Um, if anyone's been in the market in the last few years, you know how hard it is even just to find a trolling motor, especially if you're looking at the bigger uh, bigger motors with the spot lock and uh, the link systems built into them. Uh, our product is a little black box, literally about that big with a couple extra wires that, that taps into your, your foot pedal controlled motor. Um, so it works in all the Minkota power drive series of trolling motors, um, which is probably the most popular Minkota ever made. Um, that particular series of motors typically does not have iPilot. So therefore we've got a, a very large, uh, you know, part of the market that, that either your options are to go buy a new motor with all the bells and whistles, or you can retrofit it with ProNav. You clamp our unit on, plug it in just like your foot pedal. And what it lets you do, it gives you a handheld controller where you can steer the motor. You can hit uh, an anchor button to hold your boat in a spot. You can mark waypoints. And uh, we also have a mobile app interface that allows you to do mapping. Um, so using our app, you can use satellite imagery and Navionics lake maps to program routes along a certain depth or, uh, you know, if you're casting shorelines, you can use the satellite imagery to lay out a, a series of points and you can hit go. When you get on the water, you can pull up that saved route and hit go and your trolling motor will follow that shoreline route at whatever speed you set. And you're literally fishing hands free. So uh, some of the folks listening probably know of all these benefits already. But uh, for the folks that are looking to upgrade, if you have one of these power drive types of motors, it's a it's an option to, you know, to, to get that functionality without buying a new motor. So our, our price point starts around $700, whereas, you know, the, the closest new trolling motor with these types of features is well into the, you know, probably upper $1,500 to $2,000 price range. Tell us a little bit, uh, you know, like you said earlier, you are an engineer. Uh, you, you do the fishing thing because you love it. And uh, but uh, you're an engineer by trade and you're doing some research with Michigan Tech University. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on right now. We talked a little bit about it in the green room before we started. and I thought it was super interesting. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I, I'm really fortunate to be able to uh, have a, a very fun engineering job at the University at Michigan Tech, which is located in Houghton, Michigan, right on the Portage Canal, which is a waterway that dumps out to Lake Superior on both ends. Um, so I, I went to Michigan Tech, studied mechanical engineering, and uh, the year after I graduated, they built this beautiful facility called the Great Lakes Research Center. Um, I'm employed at the Great Lakes Research Center, and all the projects I work on as an engineer are somehow or another related to, you know, to the, the marine environment, uh, primarily the Great Lakes. But the types of projects ranges from, you know, biological sciences and fisheries research to, uh, you know, advanced robotics and autonomy. Um, so one of the projects I'm working on right now uh, pertains to marine autonomy. We're actually uh, developing a remotely operated vehicle. It's basically a jet ski type of platform that will be fully autonomous, kind of like your your Google car. You brought that example up earlier. We were talking um, and it, it basically can drive itself, uh, you know, so I can sit at a computer screen, program it with a mission and it can go out and complete that mission. Um, and the reason it makes sense to have an unmanned vehicle like this is for applications that are dull, dangerous, or, or dirty, you know, where it doesn't make sense to have a human on that thing. Um, one application that we're working toward is surveying, which is basically mapping of the lake bottom. And over the next 10 years, there's a really big push here in the Great Lakes to uh, 
to map the bottoms of the Great Lakes and all the you know shallow and deep water areas to a pretty high resolution, um, which you know not even close to there today. Um, but there's you know there's a lot of agencies and groups interested in in mapping the Great Lakes um, for the benefit of commercial and recreational users. You know, so fishermen love maps. I love maps. Um, this this autonomous vehicle will be doing a lot of surveying work where it can just go back and forth. You know, mowing the lawn we call it. Um, creating these uh, detailed points with the sonar, uh, measuring the water depth and logging the GPS position to create those maps. So uh, that, that's one of the applications I think the fishermen are going to like. And then uh, one of the other things that we do at the research center is we uh, uh, build and deploy the green uh, weather buoys that a lot of uh, Great Lakes fishermen are familiar with. Um, we've got uh, close to a half dozen buoys out here already in Lake Superior. Um, these buoys basically measure real-time wind speed and direction, wave height, and water temperature at the surface. And also some of them have temperature strings hanging below them that give you the, uh, the subsurface profile. So, you know, it's a great way to calibrate your fish hawk. Uh, we've got one out here where we fish and you can see that temp string, you know, every 10 feet down from surface to 100 feet. And uh, it's just a phenomenal uh, resource. You can go look at that on a web page or on your smartphone and uh, gives you some, some of that information of what the, the lake's doing. That's that's super interesting, uh, the stuff that you're doing, Travis. Really appreciate you coming on and giving your time tonight. It was really fun to talk to you about some of these things that uh, don't get covered very often. I think a lot of people are still kind of just seeing this stuff and being introduced to it. So we appreciate you. Is there something that you wanted to talk about tonight that I didn't ask you about? Well, no, thanks, Chris, for having me on. This has been a, a real pleasure. You know, I've, uh, I've known you guys for a while here and uh, was looking forward to this opportunity, uh, you know, when we first started talking about it. So, um, no, I, I really uh, enjoyed uh, listening to the podcast. And, uh, you know, I encourage any of your listeners who have questions, feel free to, to reach out and contact me. Uh, I've got a website. It's keywinacharters.com. Um you know, this is a busy season, so please be patient if I if I don't get back to you right away with uh, questions and such. I I do answer every email. It just might not be immediately. So um, I'm open to that. I love to answer questions and help fishermen out. Um, and, you know, I will say the Keweenaw is an awesome area if you're uh, looking for, a you know, a, any season really uh, getaway, you know, with your family or just with your fishing buddies. Um, there's a lot of things to do up here, uh, you know, as far as uh, getting yourself set up in a nice Airbnb and uh, being close to the lake. There's there's a lot of opportunity. So this area is really uh, conducive to bringing the family and also towing the boat. Travis, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Chase Palisari, you got the uh, Fish Ox swag bag coming to you today. So go ahead and send us a, send us a private message with your shipping information. We'll get that out to you. But uh, Travis, we appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, the rest of your season out there. Yeah, thanks, Chris, and uh, everyone listening, having a great season. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.